0: Welcome to the Future of Coding. This is Steve Krause. Today, I have my friend, mentor, and old boss, Lloyd Tab on the podcast. He began his career as a database and language architect at Borland. He then founded Commerce Tools, which was acquired by Netscape, where he then went on to be the principal engineer on Netscape Navigator Gold. Lloyd also helped shape Mozilla.org. Then he went on to be the CTO of LiveOps the co-founder of ReadyForce and founder and then advisor to Luminate. Lloyd is now the founder and CTO of Looker, a software platform analytics that's revolutionizing how people get insights from their data. I joined Looker in 2014 as their 30th employee and they are now well over that size. I think they're, they're maybe 10 times the size that they were just three years ago. Lloyd also happens to be one of the truly kindest and most benevolent people I know, and I'm really thankful that he took the time out of his busy schedule to do this this interview. I hope you all get as much out of it as I did. And without uh, any other further ado, I bring you Lloyd Tabb. So I have Lloyd Tabb here on the podcast. Welcome, Lloyd. Thanks, Steve. Uh, So um, as I mentioned in your introduction, you've been working with programming languages for like decades at this point. Um, so could you just tell us a bit about how you got started building programming languages?
1: You know, I, um, when I was in college, I, uh, I was studying finance and I started taking computer classes and um, I just got fascinated with all the different programming languages that there were and, and, how, and what you could express in them and what they were good at. Um, and so uh, there was a, a language called uh, Turbo Pascal at the time. It was for CPM machines, I'm that old. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was fascinated by... by I used a couple of different compilers and then this compiler compiled so fast and uh, allowed such uh, expressiveness. And and, um, I I wanted to actually get closer to the machine so I was doing some assembly language programming and it'll let you do inline assembly and I was I, was, I, I became fascinated with, with, uh, with Turbo Pascal and the design of it because the, there were extensions to it that were just really incredibly crafted. Um, and, the, and the software was crafted beautifully. So um, um, uh, it's a kind of a long story, but I ended up uh, c- coming out to Borland International, which was the company that made Turbo Pascal, um, to try to sell some software that I was writing in college. Um, and then um, they had uh, offered me a job if I ever wanted to work there. Um, I went, um, um, I was driving out there, ended up in Colorado and, uh, uh, worked for two companies, one, which was making operating systems and the other one, um, which was just me and another guy, writing a brand new programming language, uh, called force. It was a, a database programming language that was, in, had a native code compiler in it. Um, and I, you know, for me, the expressiveness in language is pretty incredible. It's it's this, um, I don't. The way my mind works is uh, uh, that building language is, is the best way to solve a problem. Um, you know, there, I think there are people who are, who think imperatively. I I, I kind of think in a very data-driven way. It's a, it, um, in a, in a functional way, and um, and so language design is kind of natural to me. Um, so since then, I've built the. I've I, at, I was at Borland and. Um, Borland had some of the best language designers in the world, so I ended up working with the guy next door to the guy Anders Heilsberg, who, who wrote Turbo Pascal and ended up writing C sharp and um, and at Borland I ended up doing uh, 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 several different languages. One was a uh, with a, uh, was a common uh, scripting language called Lucy, um, which w- uh, we put into a bunch of different products, and I, uh, we rewrote the language for dBase um, in a new object oriented way and um, so I I've, I've been I've been building databases and languages for a really long time.
0: Yeah, it it, it sounds like it. Um and I, I really like how you made the distinction between some people think in an imperative way and you think more in a like data driven way you said. Um would you say that like a declarative is, is a word to describe the way you think? Um or- you know-
1: so uh, before, it's, it's funny, you know. When I started programming, there was an object orientation, right? And so, but the code I always wrote was dispatched through function tables. So, uh, you know, as a as a uh, basically building state machines is kind of the way my brain works. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really, what they are is d- it's data with function pointers embedded in them, essentially. Um, uh, object orientation is a form of that, which is a is a way that you build polymorphism of objects but ba- again it's through through V tables or, or or function pointer tables and in the languages that I built um, you know at Borland uh, they were all functional languages so that function pointers were were basically first class um, variable types so um, uh, you could you could dispatch uh, y- basically you could assign an object a, a, a function and then dispatch it through a call a call operative the same way JavaScript does
0: yeah so I think at least from my perspective, that's like—I uh, guess it's not a new thing, but it seems like it's—it's it's a thing that a lot of programming languages haven't always had, like first-class functions. Were you guys like way ahead of your time at Borland?
1: Yeah, well, you know, we were—we were building languages that were for scripting our our applications. So we had Quattro Pro, we had Brief, an editor, we had um, um, D Base Paradox, and. Um, we had languages in each of these programs, and we were building a common language to do this. So we we thought deeply and long about scripting. And actually, there was a guy from Lotus who came there, a guy named Ivar Wold, who was brilliant and... Um, uh, he taught me about closures and 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 the functional part of this. Um, it became obvious that that in order to bind events, it basically it's for event binding. You have a, a UI element you want to tie some event to it. A function, basically, you want to bind a function pointer to an object. But when the function gets invoked, you want the context of the object to be available, and so you know that's where we did the this pointer and the you know in the, the 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 ugly form pointer like the parent pointer was also bound in some of the languages too but um but yeah the 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 idea that would you would bind a, you would bind a a function to an object and then when it was invoked the context of the object would be available and that's how that's that's basically the nature of scripting we mm-hmm. we, we did all of that development there
0: when you started your first company commerce tools um, there was a programming language that you created for that company as well right
1: yeah so the um after so what happened at Borland was um i uh you know I was i was building languages and do we had just shipped dbase for windows um which was which had a, a, an object oriented language in it and it was a database and and then um my friend eric swenson who uh who who who's still a good friend uh showed me mosaic and um i realized that the world was about to change that the, this this web thing was going to be huge. And so uh, me and a couple of other guys uh, uh, quit our jobs and this was before VC so I had saved I was saving money for the day when I was I was ready for this I had saved the a hundred thousand dollars to start a company um, and um, and so the, and it was basically so I could support my family for a year while I was building the software um, and um, we built uh, we started building a um, the very first application server for the web so we were tying a database and a programming language and it was a it was a it was a scripting language uh um an object oriented scripting language and the um uh it, it eventually shipped at, at netscape as livewire um and it had the um uh the session request you know it was it was object oriented so that uh it was this it, it was the model that was copied by uh, microsoft which was the asp model and 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 um and Sun with the JSP model um, for the web servers it was it was a it was a it was an, uh it was a naive design, um, <laughs> right in the sense in the sense that it would. Was- it it didn't handle mul- it didn't handle clustered servers very well but it from a programming point of view it made it very simple to to program web servers so we were we we pioneered the object that, you know so when a request came in there you had access to the request object you could you could um, it was automatically bound and you could you could hang variables off of that and um and the, and or and or the session object and um what ended up happening at, at, at so we got acquired, actually, um, wasn't even a, an, actually wasn't even an acquisition. It was a, hey, come do this over here kind of thing. That was the way things were done back then. So we ended up, um, uh, the four of us ended up going to Netscape. Um, I ended up writing Navigator Gold, which was the the um, um, the, the word processor, because at the time we believed that we needed a GUI development environment for, to build a programming language. Um, so I so the, the the thought that you would build a programming environment without a, a, a GUI behind it was not something that that made sense
0: to us. In retrospect, we were wrong. But um, um,
1: so, can so I ended up building an of Gold there.
0: Yeah. I'm curious. So when you say a language with a GUI behind it, um, what do you you mean a a designer extra...
1: like a like? So mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. Oh, to remember? There? So every so every language had a a, a resource editor. And the resource editor would let you draw dialog boxes and and forms and data yeah. input and, and um, you know it, it, the I don't know if you remember Dreamweaver but Dreamweaver was there were people who would hand code HTML but Adobe believed that nobody would ever do that and so they built Dreamweaver which was this complicated builder for HTML right mm-hmm. and I built Navigator Gold which was this complicated builder for HTML which was an editor basically for HTML um, and. What ended up happening was that people ended up going back to language to build stuff so that it was a return to a language-based way of constructing code in the late 90, in the in the early 90s uh, we had moved very much to a GUI way of building code
0: oh that's really interesting and that i think as we'll talk about later i think that it kind of foreshadows um how you built uh like looker on, oh, on yes. top of a language yeah uh the 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 thing uh I, so I
1: was—I've been the CTO of a bunch of different companies. Um, uh, after Netscape, I was at—I uh, uh, at Lo- was—I at, I did a bunch of stuff. But one of the things I did was CTO over at a company called LiveOps, where we were the first crowdsource company. We had 30,000 home-based telephone operators. Um, we, actually, LiveOps is still cranking along. We um, and we had. Um, uh, we needed everybody to see call data in order for this, in order for the business to work. So I built some custom tools that allowed, uh, through a web interface, people to see what was going on in telephone calls, and, and um, I realized that that was a really important way for. Um, uh, uh, it was a, re- a real success fact, a real key to success of LiveOps. LiveOps grew from um, you know like. 10 people to 150 million in revenue in three years. You know, it was crazy how fast we grew and we had 350 people in the company and everybody was looking at the call data to see what was happening on the calls being able to draw look look at the calls in aggregate and but also be able to drill in and listen to the calls. Um, And then um, I was at a company I was CTO at a company called Illuminate and we built another tool um, uh, to, to, to look at ad tech data and then I was at a company called ReadyForce. And we we built um, tools so that everybody could look at their staffing data. And I, what what happened was that I realized that um, there's a general, that generally being able to have large groups of people in, in um, query data in a way that they would normally write SQL queries for um, through a web interface was, was key to success. So um, given my database background from DBase and Paradox and my language background from building language building languages at Borland and before, um, I, I realized that it was a, uh, that it, that it needed a language based solution to this problem. And um, um, and it, what's diff- what's what's strange is is that um, so the, the the alternative to the the GUI environment the, the web based environment was mostly the people were running SQL queries. They would just type in some SQL, run it, and look at and, and render the results. And they'd have basically Rolodexes full of SQL that they would use to to try to, to to try to investigate this data, or they were using something weird. The, the, the other tools that were available were, were, were really archaic PC-based tools. There wasn't anything web-based that that could do this, um, and so um, so I took a close look at SQL and figured out how to decompose it. Um, and so the the problem with SQL is that it's 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 has terrible reusability characteristics. I mean, awful. Uh, uh, if you have a query um, and you want it to do something slightly different um, it 's a it 's a copy of the entire query and then um replace some part of the string some part of the query and you get copy you get you get generational errors in SQL because there is no there is no encapsulation model um, and and i 'm talking about querying here i 'm talking about the select statement itself, not not um inserts or anything else but the but the actual analytical function of sql which is really the select statement um is not very reusable and so what looker what i did was um um design a language that allowed to that basically blew up the C, the, the select statement into its comp- composite parts and then allowed you to encapsulate logic in each of the of the parts um and then reuse the, and th- and then make something entirely reusable out of it um, so at its at its core, that's what LookML does. Is it's a it's a reusable version of SQL. It's 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 to it's it's basically um, if you think of SQL as assembly language, then 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 look you know um, then LookML is to SQL as uh, is is basically like C It's an object it's a it's an object oriented language that that. Um, that allows you
0: to uh, create interfaces to query data. I think the Looker architecture is, is so fascinating, and that's part of why I love the product and, and wanted to come work for you guys. And whenever I, I talk to my friends, they find it really fascinating when I explain how the Looker architecture works, um, where you have this, and I think in particular what they find fascinating is how you have this, the customization layer, the modeling layer, is itself a language. Uh, so it like kind of separates concerns, so you can have uh, the analysts I build out the model in LookML and then it exposes like a GUI interface to the to business people. So yeah. yeah, I almost see it as, a, as LookML is what customizes the, the user interface in a way.
1: Yeah, the, 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 the thing, so um, to understand a, a SQL query basically allows you to pull da- back tabular results out of a, it. Essentially all select statements return you a table. As a, as a result and base and and the way that you invoke uh, looker so there's this looker language model that describes a whole bunch of different it, it can it, it describes a universe of tables and then every single query is represented in as a function call basically for five with five parameters that will return a result set which is a table um, and the parameters are the, the model itself um, yeah. basically the starting table that you that you, you want to start from um, the this, the, the scalars, uh, the scalar computations, the aggregate computations—those are measures and dimensions—and those are just named fields. Um, those are just names of things. Those are, uh, so it's a list of names, field names. Um, how you're going to filter the data and how you're going to sort it. And um, with those five parameters, you can pull back any piece of data from the um, from through the model. It'll it'll it will it will craft the SQL for you. Um, not, but it's not just simple SQL queries either. It's, you know, you can do very, very complex transformations that are multi-layer and persisting and materializing views, and you know, um, you know, basically anything that you can do in SQL, um, you can represent in LookML, um, uh and but then access it through this very simple functional interface.
0: Yeah, it, it's amazing, and I. And it's not only can you do anything that you could do in SQL and LookML, but there are some things that, in SQL that are so complicated that like logistically you wouldn't be able to do practically in SQL because they're just so complicated. You need a tool like LookML to like help you uh, like do these complex abstractions.
1: Yeah. So it, you know, so some of the complexities of SQL are um, uh, basically the depending on how you join something, um, uh, So a join is basically combining two tables, and if one table has more than rows than the other, there is a uh, the the data fans out. So you're creating a matrix. You're starting with a small matrix, say the users, and you're joining orders. Your result is the orders table with each order getting the user's name represented. but you can't. Uh, but if you want to do any kind of aggregate computation against users at that time, say you wanted to average the user's age, but you've joined in orders, that computation becomes impossible in SQL because the um, because of the nature of the join. And lookabell solves all. You know, we have this thing called symmetric aggregates, where all our aggregate computations you don't have to worry about join patterns or or or. You you can think about your data in a very logical way, and your what you, you want to measure in a in a in a simple way, and Looker figures out how to write the complexity the complex queries
0: that you wouldn't normally be you wouldn't normally have the patience to write. Yeah, it, I, even even that, which may sound a little simple for someone who doesn't know SQL, is just magic. Uh, that it's a, such a, like that's a, such a beginner problem that I remember facing with SQL that just entirely goes away. Um, but it, before we move on, I want I want to just articulate. Um, Kind of how um, like a simple piece of LookML would work. So, uh, like for example, like um, a, like a named field. Like uh, I remember, like the example that you guys had in your documentation is like uh, the user's name, and it concatenates first name and last name. Could you kind of walk us through how like even something as simple as that works in LookML? Sure. So um, uh,
1: the basically the 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 the, uh, the flow of look of LookML is that for every Table that you want in your model for every physical database table, um, there's uh, we, we we call that a view, and the reason it's a view is that it's it's a logical abstraction on top of the table. So, um, for every field that's in the table, you'll probably declare a dimension. It's a scalar. It's 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 uh, so you you basically declare a dimension for each of those. Um, you can build. Um, uh, computed dimensions. So, as uh, the example that you that you that you gave, which would be, I have a first name field and a last name field, and I want first name space last name as uh, as the name field. It doesn't physically exist. I can create a dimension that is that. Um, and then um, you can also, in the view, declare any aggregate computations that you want. So, say you have uh, one that's always automatically generated is the count. So, you could count the number of users, for example. Um, uh, you might also p- compute the average user's age, so you could create a, a new a, a measure. It would be a type average, and the the SQL for it would be th- th- would just reference the 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 age field in the users table. Um, and, th- and and at that point, um, to query and if you wanted to get if you simply wanted to pr- to produce the uh, uh, query the average user's age, you would you would you would start with a model. You would reference the uh, uh, the users table, which we would call the users explore, and you would compute average users age, um, um, which would be the name of the measure, and that would be it. That would uh, you would get a, t- a result set that would be one 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 row, and it would have a, the result would be a column in the would be average users age, and the value would be whatever that that number computed to be. If you wanted to look at it by state, you could then do the exact same query. Um, Feeding two fields in, one would be the state and the average user's age, and it would produce a two-column table by each state producing the average user's age.
0: And just so our, our users have kind of a picture in their mind, um, the, the way Looker works, it, or the way it looks is that uh, you have on, the, on like, the left side of the screen, you have a list of dimensions and aggregates. and On, on the right side of the screen, you have the results that were returned. And, and one thing about Looker that I thought was really fun is there was a, a, a tab, uh, the, the SQL tab that you could click on so that when you're uh, adding dimensions and measures to your query, you see the SQL getting constructed in real time so it kind of allows you to see how um how connected they are how like looker's really writing a SQL for you right uh,
1: yeah no it's uh, it's been a blast you know it um what what what's amazing is how many uh how how good the adoption has been of this so you know I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a entrepreneur and a language designer i don't know there are very many of me in the world yes um right and um the 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 road here is littered with dead companies of so people who've tried this, um, so it was not a uh, it was not a, uh, i guess I guess it's, you know it was not a it was a it was a business plan out of my heart as opposed to an mm-hmm. out of one that like made any sense because there there <laughs> there were so many naysayers no say naysayers about oh you're really going to start a company with it that's that's based. Uh, you know, at its core has a programming language, and, and the value that we provide, of course, is the ability to see data, um, but the technique that we used is, uh, is, is designing a new language, and, um, and th- that was not a, uh, was, it didn't, didn't inspire a lot of belief. What, what did inspire was when people used it, they saw how great it was, but, it, but the, from, a, from an outside perspective, it did not sound like a, a sound business plan
0: yeah that I think for a lot of people listening to this podcast I think that's uh that definitely something they can agree with there aren 't too many yeah, bu- successful businesses they can point to that are built around a programming language um, but but to um to to like bra- to, to brag on you to like talk about how successful it's been um, well f- first I, I would like to yeah, confirm that it is amazing to use a product and and I, I was like when I was a customer I was so obsessed with it um, I remember when i was um trying to think about where to go next in terms of a job. I um, was like talking to my friends about how there was like no companies that were exciting to me. But then like later, like five minutes later, I was talking about how much I loved using, I was like using Looker, you know, five minutes later and talking about how much I loved it. And they were like, well, why don't you work there? Like, it seems like you love that product. Uh, And I think that's like a common thing. I think Looker hires a lot of their customers because the customers who use Looker just, yeah, become like missionaries that everyone loves the product.
1: You know um margaret who's one of our early hires said to me one day that we'll be successful when we have a thousand true fans and you know that's really the that's the that's the driving philosophy of looker i i don't we you know i I want fan you know get getting a fan base getting looker should be so good that it changes your life and if it changes your life then you'll become a fan and you'll talk about it um i'm a big fan of seth godin who's who who wrote the big boo you have to be remarkable and remarkable meaning worthy of talking about so what we do is um what 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 i love about LookML is that it's a non sequitur there isn't anything you know a lot of languages are well that's it's like uh you know it it, it's a lot like x y and z language except that it's does this you know it's it's java with closures it's you know um, it's, but you look at if you look at LookML, it doesn't look like anything else that came before it. There isn't there isn't anything to, to look at it that, um, um, and that's what makes it so different. It's not a, it's um, it's uh, you know that's actually why I'm
0: really proud of it. It's that it's 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 really a non sequitur in in this space. I think for other aspiring programming language entrepreneurs. Um, what advice would you have around building a company around a language? Like what, and in particular, I think the story you tell about how you noticed that you had a problem, this problem at other companies, I think could be relevant to people here.
1: Yeah, yeah, so I didn't design a language because I wanted to design a language. I designed a language because I wanted to solve a problem.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Right, so the the problem was that um, you can't really see data very well. And so, I mean, there's a there's a notion of domain specific languages that that are coming out. And so, Looker is a domain specific language around the, around representing data, um, and and so, uh, it's not a, a simple derivation on on. It wasn't trying to make programmers more efficient. It was trying to make something possible.
0: Hmm. And what I, exactly were you trying to make possible?
1: That's that's the important part here. What is, what is when you program in LookML, what do you get? you get a web interface to data and you get an api to data right that's all that LookML does it doesn't it it, it doesn't do it's not an imperative language you you don't it's a, it's a, it's a it's a functional language it produces a function library to get at at tabular data mm-hmm. that's what it does and it produces so and it produces an api that the a a, a, a a visual builder uses and an api can use and then from that we build the whole Looker platform, which you know is dashboards and and, and uh, you know and and interactive applications and. Um, we have uh, shareable components that are descriptions. So we have these things that that, ele- that let you share. to imp- to underst- you can you can grab it, a data set and then a LookML definition for Salesforce or for Zendesk or for Segment data or you know and and be able to immediately get value out of that data and also be able to you know it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's all version controlled and you can modify it and you know and and share it between projects and so there's there's a tremendous amount that you can do with this thing. But what it is at its core is uh, a way of building interfaces to data. You know, my advice is: What are you trying to accomplish, right? What what is it? What is the core thing you're trying to make happen? Um, and you know, is that a 10x improvement or is it an incremental improvement, right? And incremental improvements don't tend to go very far in my experience. You know, it's a, the the, the VC in me says, you know, you want to see a 10x improvement in order to be able to have
0: something that's going to have uptake. So, and now I want to drill into um, some of the language design choices you made, because I think they're really interesting. So when you first built, the, the first version of LookML that I saw was built on top of YAML. So I'd be curious to know why you chose YAML as opposed to like XML or JSON or a GUI interface.
1: Well, a GUI was out. Like I learned a long time ago that that uh, th- there were there were a bunch of GUI builders in databases, and it's te- it, hiding code underneath buttons and dialogue uh, underneath d- UI elements makes it very difficult to read or, or understand the flow. We're as, as um, I'm a real fan of Noam Chomsky, and um, Noam Chomsky says that if you um, if you don't have language to express something, you can't think it he's mm. got a, the language theory and that there are different languages that are better at producing at, at expressing different ideas so so that 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 this needed to be a language was obvious to me mm-hmm. um, and so that's 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 why we I, di- I didn't do the GUI i actually by at the keynote at join last year I talked a lot about why why language is so important
0: mm-hmm. um, um,
1: um, this, this, the second part of it was okay so I'm going to build a language what and and we were gonna be scrappy. Um, it was just me and Ben, we wanted to get going. I didn't want to spend six months writing a parser. Um, and uh, XML is horrible to read, it's not readable. Um, but YAML is basically a version of XML that's designed to be human readable. The whole point of it is uh, uh, basically writing human readable data structures. Um, it's simple. It's, uh, there are libraries everywhere that, 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 that make it available that, that to, to read it in any language. Um, so it became very, it, as a jumpstart, starting with YAML was really easy. So we built, we, we built LookML
0: based on YAML. And then a few, a, f- a few years ago, you transitioned to a more custom syntax.
1: YAML had some problems. Um, you had to understand YAML first, then LookML. And YAML has some quirks in it about indentation that are not necessarily obvious. If the indentation is wrong, uh, the, the YAML parsers just give up. They go, yeah, no. And we could we could have rewritten the YAML parser so it was more forgiving, um, or did better error checking. So we already we already hooked into the YAML and had gotten pretty pretty deep with it, um, but we. We decided that we wanted a full-fledged IDE with suggestions and you know things that IntelliJ offers you. You know, like you're you're declaring a view object. What what are the what are the possible things you can do here? And so we 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 created a slight derivation. It's not very far from the original LookML. Um, uh, it it uses curly braces to begin in and an object. It uses spaces to, to um, spaces or new lines to delimitate. Uh, uh, between, uh, between name value pairs, and basically it's all name value pair based. Um, so there are, there's a object declaration, and then a bunch of parameters to those objects. Because remember, LookML is it, it's it's a functional language, not necessarily an imperative language, and it also has embedded it has the ability to embed SQL in it or HTML in it. So um, so we created a, simp- a a very simplified syntax. Um, it's very easy to machine read. Um, it's our our IDE can do a great job displaying it. It's very quick to parse, um, and um, and so we switched over to our new our new syntax.
0: And how how did the? Because I know as like a, a language person, it's like terrifying to transition people to a new language. How did the transition go for you, your users?
1: You know, we wrote a we
0: wrote a translator.
1: We wrote, uh, so you hit a button and a machine translates your whole your your whole project. So uh, the, the the transition happened very quickly. Um, I think we're I, I I don't know the stats, but we're mostly everybody's transitioned over to New Look ML now. Um, it's wow. you know it's it's great. It's you know it's it's a hit a, it's hit a button. It, it happens. Fix a couple. Of, we'll highlight a couple of
0: errors and you're you're off and running. Wow! Holy crap! That is, I, like, you never hear about a, a language upgrade that drastic that goes so well. That's amazing.
1: Well, you know, so what's different about like inventing a language then um, is that you're going to get it wrong a lot. So, um, uh, and the and the important thing is to deprecate what went wrong and 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 make it better. So early LookML does not look at all like LookML looks today. LookML is a very live language. Um, um, we are very careful to make it upward compatible, um, and we're very careful about what we add. Um, but uh, it gets easier and easier to use each year. So the first year it was like YAML, and it was hard to understand. And the objects were we had for an example is that we had joins embedded in views, which which was very difficult to understand the join hierarchy of a set of related tables. Um, we moved, it, we moved that into a tone object, so there's another object called an explorer, which basically describes all the relations between the tables and what the keys are in foreign key and primary-key relationships, so that you can understand that in one spot. You can just go look at it and go, okay, well, this is how these tables are all related. That's separate from how all the the, the aggregates, computations are happening or the or the dimension co- happen. Um, but LookML didn't initially do it that way, and, but we were able to uh, add the new way of doing it Add warnings about the old way of doing it, and eventually deprecate it so that it doesn't support it anymore. And um, so it's 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 important to, to be to, to have a, a live language, but it's also important to know uh, to you know there's there's fatigue too. So we have you know we don't want to fatigue our customers too much. So they learn one thing one way they can do it. We we want to make it easier for the new customers coming on. So we have this we have this balance mm. of adding complexity uh what is painful enough that, that that you know we're very conscious about what's hard to understand we're always trying to make it easier you know there's a, a tax a complexity tax when when you're dealing with language that you're always trying to reduce that complexity tax so that it, the concepts are easy to understand and um a lot of languages leave bad stuff in for too long we think so we we try to get the bad stuff out example of that it's like Perl. there's 15 ways to do things yeah. he you know it I, I i love pearl uh there's a, there's probably a great style of pearl that you could write in there's just too many ways to do things <laughs> and right and so we want to reduce the number of ways of doing something and we want we want to make it as clean and as simple as possible um, if pearl had deprecated some stuff i think it would have been more
0: successful hmm, that's so interesting i think you're inspiring me here um to do a better job with my programming language platform, WoofJS, that my students use in the after school program. I, um, I'm so terrified of changing the language because you know, kids have learned it already that I that I really don't deprecate as much as I probably should. So
1: well if if you find that there's something that's hard for the kids to understand, don't get stuck there. You know, you know, the 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 thing that happened with the early looker was so we we were talking about the measures earlier. And the, depending on the join pattern, that w- would happen. Measures would not be available in certain cases. If you uh, you, you write a measure in a view, average users age, and you're in the orders view, and the look early looker could not compute the average users age because we didn't we hadn't figured out how to do it yet, and um, and it created this mental tax on everybody who was programming in LookML. The first question that they would ask is, where do my measures go? How come my measures not showing up? Well. Um, you know, we—it drove me crazy. It—it uh, it, it was a question that everybody who used the who, who, used the language would come up against. I—I I knew they would come up against the question. You can't put it as the first thing, but it's got to be the third thing that they see. And um, and when we solved this problem, I was ecstatic, um, because we, we were able to eliminate a compl- a piece of complexity in the language by. Uh, by figuring out how to do the computation anyway, um, that that made the whole thing much simpler. It took it took it, it, the whole language got dramatically simpler because we could we could do this computation, um, and and it was a you know it, it's pretty fascinating it, that that if your if your language has a rough spot in it, just stick with it and um, um, uh, and don't and 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 try to figure out how to get the complexity out and don't worry about changing it. Um, you know, if you're building, as long as you're, as long as what you're doing is providing value, you're, um, you, you can keep the old people working in the way that they were using it. Um, if you have a a warning system, you can warn that it's, that that, that's the old way you can, you can hide the old way of doing it and drop it out or, or mark it in the documentation that it's not there and then eventually drop it out. Um, um, but, um, uh. There, there are a number of ways of doing this, in the, the de- but deprecating, um, deprecating, and uh, and enhancing, uh, it, it, you're not going to get the language right in the first go. You're absolutely not.
0: Mm, that's really great advice. Uh, yeah, there are a few places that I, I'm thinking about would be good for that in my language. I, I worry that I, I, my language is a JavaScript library, so I don't, I don't think it would, it would always be so easy. Like I, I couldn't build a um, a translator the way you did for you know, your first first version to the second version because like things are like a little bit, there's like too much going on some of the time. Um, so I, I guess what I'd, what I'd end up having to do is what you just said. I'd have to like let the old people kind of stick with the version they were using and then new people will get a newer version.
1: Right, I mean, so function like, you know, the, the ver- API versioning is a pretty standard way of doing things, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, if you're, if somebody's building to the version one of the API, the, you can let them Choose the version of the API that they're dealing with and then do version two of the API, which doesn't contain the things that you don't want in it anymore. So that that anybody new coming along will actually deal with the 2.0 version.
0: Totally. Uh, Okay. So one thing that I, we've talked about a bit, but I wanted to get more of your thoughts on because it's particularly relevant to the people in the world, uh, people who are today trying to build a future of programming. A lot of us um, think that the future isn't in text, uh, is it, but it's more in like a GUI type of thing or like uh, more of a structured editor. And, and I, I think what's really interesting about you is that you thought that too and then you tried that way and it didn't work and now you're back on text. So like, like the question to you is do you think like 30, 50 years from now, 100 years, like we're, are we always going to be programming text? Is there, is there something after text? Uh, yeah. How do you think about that?
1: So. Um... I, I think that it's... Yeah, I think it's going to be text. Wow. for, for, for Forever. <laughs> um, you know, I think that... Uh, I think that human beings read. You know, and... Uh, uh, you might have a flow chart that kind of shows... You, you, might have, you might have something generate pictures for you that make it easier to understand. Um, but I... Think that we think in language,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, you know. There's and and hiding code. You know, I mean, it, it, you can look at everything in the '80s was was visual programming. In the '80s and '90s was visual programming, and it was terrible. None of that stuff really. You know that nobody loves that stuff. Mm-hmm. There isn't there isn't anybody who 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 goes. Yeah, I love programming that way.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. Uh, I think that's part of Looker's success is uh, people are, the competing tools have these like, you know, kind of glitchy interfaces and um, and when people see how clean and beautiful the just, you know, coding in text at Looker is, that, that's part of what I love it so much.
1: Yeah, there's a, um, who was it, that, um, this guy from Mentor Graphics, I saw him speak once, um, and he, he was talking about GUI interva- interfaces versus language interfaces. and. Uh, when you're a baby, you point at things. So, like the original, so uh, the the um, Microsoft Windows and uh, and and window-based operating systems, right, are drag and drop, and th- nobody has ever built a really good scripting engine for uh, for Mac OS X or Windows, right, because. The, the 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 gestures don't have words. You drag the window over here, it's very it's it's it's, it's very imprecise. You have like a, a big finger that you're moving around and and those scripting engines for like automator or or, or any of the flows that you would do in, in the GUIs are terrible because there's no words associated with them. But on the flip side of that, all of them have great command line access, right? Because you can string these things together. You can you can combine. You can take a bunch of commands, throw them into a function or a batch file, right? And then reuse that and 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 reuse that. And so it's 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 because there's a, there's language. It's 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 shitty language. It's bash, mm. right? But it's language at least, right? And so you can combine these things. You can actually get multiple steps. So the the visual stuff, you know, the 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 fact. The fact that i can see two pieces of things interlocking together and maybe they have a you know a, a shape of the edge that i can see that they would fit together the way scratch does right the that's cool but it becomes unnecessary very quickly which is why JS is so interesting right is that it it goes from it, it's it's the step from okay i can see how these things visually get together to language yeah um Okay, okay thank you. and and I I think that I think that once you make that step, that leap to language, you don't want to go back to to
0: to, to GUI. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I just I and I totally agree. That's that's why we got Wolf. The the one thing that I that like frustrates me because because I work with with children, and and like you like you said about how like you know you always got frustrated because people would always. Like the third thing would be that they didn't understand where to put the aggregates, and it just, like, uh-huh. just like hurts you emotionally. I think I feel a similar way with my kids um, when they, like, they delete a bracket somewhere, and, and their whole code is broken, and there's no way for them to figure it out. It, it's, it's very impractical to expect them to figure it out, and they're really stuck until an adult comes to help them. And so it, the amount of time and, and frustration like sadness and like stuckness that kids have to go through in order to build like a parser in their head like makes me like emotionally sad. Um, so I'm, so that, that's like my motivation to like move past text. So I'm wondering if you, well, if, but, yeah. But, but, but if you had a better way of teaching
1: syntax, like if, if, if before you taught them anything else that you had a game that let them look like at a what, 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 what a well-formed sentence syntactically looked like,
0: uh yeah well so i guess my, my, yeah uh my i'm, I'm just I'm, I'm throwing i'm, I'm guessing trying, at an answer yeah. here but,
1: but 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 you know we uh, we, we we learn and when we're, when we're learning to speak we learn we learn the order in which we put words before we learn a lot of words yes so we 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 learn how to name something data mama mm-hmm. book tree, right mm-hmm. um and and then uh and then we learn uh, I don't know what it is. I, I i'm not i'm not a linguist but but <laughs> want tree <laughs> want book yeah you know uh, right <laughs> right so we learn we learn very simple sentences and so um i don't i it, it's something to me about okay figuring out how to get them the syntax separately
0: from solving the problem might help you yeah that, that's a good perspective um and then one one last question on this topic do you th- I know in the past all visual programming languages have have kind of failed miserably. Um, and so that would lead you to believe that it like probably won't succeed in the future. Um, but a lot of people listening to this, to this uh, podcast kind of like hope that we'll be able to figure it out if we're just like clever enough. Do, would you would your advice be to like kind of not waste our time in that it, it's like probably a dead end? Or you think, you know, maybe there's a chance someone can figure it out? Okay. So, um, one thing in life that I have learned <laughs> is that I can
1: predict... I, I, we, we, I'm pretty good at saying at predicting what winners are (laughs) like oh yeah apple what when apple in 2003 when they when they came out with the with the uh, osx and the macbook i was like yeah they're gonna win because it's a unix based operating system windows at the time was super heavy and buggy and security problems and i'm like oh apple's gonna win here so i was i I mean i was like i even made a stock bet that paid off cr- crazily well but <laughs> but but picking that winner was easy right um because i had i it, it coincided with things that i was observing okay going on the other side of the market i can't do <laughs> i can't i cannot tell you what's going to lose <laughs> i can't i can't tell you what i can't see like
0: yeah so, that makes sense so,
1: so somebody might have a great idea that i don't understand does not mean it's not a great idea
0: Cool. Yeah. Okay.
1: The way my brain works is, I think the way my brain works is human beings uh, need language in order to be able to express complicated ideas. That's my my belief, um, and I've made a bet, bets on that, and it's worked for me. Yeah. Um, does does. Uh, the, uh, am i am i right i have no idea <laughs> okay cool yeah yeah <laughs> you know, have, have, you know is, is, is someone could someone prove me right absolutely i it's just it's not a bet it, i am not betting that way I see. doesn't mean that i
0: yeah 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 totally um that that's well put um and that, i guess that brings me to uh my last question so um what else w- would you place bets on today specifically in this like f- the future of technology, the future of programming space. W- what else do you think is like, going to be in the future that, that most other people don't yet see?
1: So I've, I've loved how um, the, the last couple of years have been, ama- or the last 10 years have been fina- fascinating in languages. So we've seen, um, we've, we, we saw a bunch of people go to Python and to Ruby um, for uh, fast development um, and JavaScript. And abandoning the, the 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 strongly typed languages of the past, which allowed for rigor and testability, and 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 um, and and now we're, we're we're flipping around and we're starting to see some really interesting languages that give you a lot of the agility of 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 the um, these powerful scripting style languages with uh, strong typeness, and and I think it's fascinating. I'm. I I think we're I think it's a very good time for for programming
0: languages. Um, yeah, an exciting time. Yeah, I agreed. So, would you, if you had to place a bet, would you place the bet on stronger types or, or more dynamic languages?
1: You know, I think strong typing in the you know we're 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 developing software in the large more, so I think strong typing is. Has such advantage in, in in machine code generation, which isn't as important as it used to be, but it's you know it's it's important. But but more importantly, it's um, in in rigor of and 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 the ability to to, um, to find bugs during compile time. Um, it's 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 actually so much better. So um, you can build you can build better software in a strongly typed system. Um, and so I, I um, so I'm excited in the in the large. So I think we're going to see more of it
0: uh cool um, another question that, that i um, wanted to ask you is to, because you're like the SqL expert um, i talk if you could talk a bit about um what you like about SQL like what you don't like about SQL and why SqL is going to win over the um, the no model
1: well okay so there's let's let's there are there's transactional SQL and analytical SQL, and I would separate SQL into two different things. Mm-hmm. There is the transactional SQL, which is the uh, create table, insert, update, uh, begin transaction, and transaction world. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, I I don't have a dog in that fight. <laughs> um, all right, um, uh, there are some really good NoSQL solutions here. I mean, I, I, I was I, I took a deep look at Spanner, which is NoSQL. Um, the replication it you know it what it it offers some amazing things like uh, the, the way it does replication is that it writes simultaneously to multiple places and then when you read back you read back one that that is the least from the least loaded node um so there are no replication delays which really simplifies writing software wow. because if yeah. you're in a if you're in a uh uh MySQL world, and you're in a replication chain. You write to a master, and you read from a slave, and there's a delay, and there's a possibility that you wouldn't get the data that you just wrote, and mm. things like that. Um, and all of that goes away. So from transactional SQL, no, uh, I, I, I don't really have a. I, I, I'm not talking. That that's not the SQL I'm talking about. Mm. Analytical SQL is a totally different thing. Um, um, uh, there are a lot of people who write interfaces to data that are tur- what I would call Turing-incomplete, <laughs> okay? Mm-hmm. Um, there, are, uh, there is no way through the interface to ex- to express something so that you can get the data out. And what I like about SQL with the select statement is that it's essentially Turing-complete for analytical data. I can ask, if, if I've got SQL, a, a modern SQL on top of a, a, a set of tables... I can pull the data out that I'm looking for. I can write the SQL. There there is a way to write the SQL to get the thing that I'm looking mm-hmm. for and I can pull anything out of it because the language is complete. Yeah. And so so uh, you know the the interface that 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 abstraction is correct. It's ugly as shit. It's <laughs> it's it's old. It's uh, but nobody you know uh, but you know, and LookML arguably simplifies that and it does a better job of of that it makes the, it it takes that it it like i said that that sequel is assembly language but it it is fully complete you know it's turing complete for data you can actually get anything out you can express you can it has enough fun the core fundamentals in the language so that you can actually pull anything out of that data now is it easy to pull it out no <laughs> but with but 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 that's why i think i don't think it's going anywhere and everybody else who's tried to do that without uh without uh, it, it, it screwed it up so like druid interesting great uh totally Turing incomplete right the aggregates aren't there the you know the the, the ability to do to, to to combine sets is not there it's for pulling a single table out but it's fast right but it's it's incomplete there are so there are there are these systems that pull data out that are you know scanning but they're not they're not complete
0: mm. yeah i think that's uh, yeah you, i think you really hit the nail on the head there because I can say from my own experience, I uh, use Firebase as my backend. And uh, m- one of the biggest headaches I have is I can't do anything close to the uh, expressivity of SQL in Firebase. It's so limited in what I can ask out and how, so. I,
1: right, exactly. Yeah, and, and, you can, and the value of data often is, comes from combining a lot of different sources, right? So it's not, it's not uh, I'll give you an example, like we have a, a, a model that's for your AWS billing data. Right, and so it shows you like all your hosts and what what you spent on each host, and, and Amazon publishes this data into into your S three into S three for you, and we can we can we can, we have a data model against that, and um, we also have our Salesforce data in the database, and it's really useful to combine uh, the AWS billing data by Salesforce ID, right? So I know what I'm spending. You know, pulling a, t- a data set out, which is the week the uh, Salesforce account ID and how much we spent on that account in, in, in AWS to get our cost of goods sold, right? And we can join that back into our finance data, right? And it's, uh, so the value of being able to combine these things, if, you're, if, if you don't have SQL to do this, you're just kind of doomed.
0: Yeah, that's, yeah, it's, it's totally, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, <laughs> thanks for going into that. Yeah, I, I for whatever yeah. reason, I, I didn't quite realize that it was SQL Itself that like enabled the like turn completeness. I think that, that's a really good distinction to make. Yeah. Um, so one last last question for you. Um, when I uh, worked at Looker, there was this, this thing that you would do that like it was like seemed like magic to the rest of us. There would be some some big customer problem that seemed impossible to solve, and then we come into work on Monday and you'd be like, "Yep, I was I was up. I spent all weekend doing it, and it's solved now." And it and you would you would walk us through how it worked, and it would be magic. So I was wondering if you could kind of unpack like. You know, like behind the scenes, like what were you do, like how how are you able to solve these like incredibly hard SQL problems? Like, what are your what are some techniques that you use?
1: Oh, um,
0: well, I, I I need to know the specifics to, to know. <laughs> sure, uh, yeah, I can give you a specific. There was, um, I think, it, the one of the problems. So I guess maybe like uh, for example, the um, the symmetric aggregates. Like I th- I think that. I don't know if I was there when you solved that one, but that one seems like a problem that you probably went, went off some weekend and, and solved it, and then came, came back. Yeah.
1: So it was uh, uh, the way symmetric well, symmetric errors works is um, uh, what I, I I did not realize up at that point that uh, des- that most sequels had decimal arithmetic to basically infinite precision, um, and um, the problem with what I was looking for, and, and they also had the ability, and most sequels also had the ability to do some distinct. Mm. Um, and so, uh, which is a very strange function, right? It's like find all the unique numbers and add them up. Um, and so what we were able to do is we were able to combine the primary key uh, as a number, and the number that you wanted to sum together Compute that as a sum distinct, and then compute the sum distinct of the primary keys, and subtract that out, and it would always produce a uh, an accurate sum regardless of whether or not the data had fanned. Um, and it was it was that somebody had said, "Oh, look at this sum distinct! Uh, great, that's cool! Wow, sum distinct! Why do they add that?" Okay, and then I and then I went and looked and saw the decimal type and realized it was possible, and uh, got very excited and went off and craft and wrote it one weekend. Wow. You know, I mean, that's, that's, that was, it was like, when when I saw that it was, because po- yeah, I, I, like I said earlier, I was marinating on this problem for Ooh. a really long time. It was bugging the hell out of me that, 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 that aggregate computations would disappear based on joint patterns. And um, the ability to make that go, to make, to make that representable in the, the language could already represent it. We just couldn't compute it. And then figuring out how to compute it was just, that was great.
0: Like, yeah. So yeah, okay, so I guess the actual steps are, one, like be focused on a problem, like totally marinate on a problem, and then and then just step two is keep your eyes open until it kind of comes. Until you can see a way to solve it, right? And then and make,
1: make a run at it. Also, <laughs> you know, the other thing is also, to, you know, what, what you probably, you mentioned that it was like a customer problem. Yes. Yeah. So very often I would listen to like a customer, and then they would point out a flaw in the way that Looker worked, and I would be embarrassed by the flaw. So I remember one weekend, it was, I think it was the way we, so Looker allows you to pivot data on two dimensions. Um, take, take one dimension, um, and have, the, have a table, and the dimension goes down the side, and another dimension goes at the, across the top, and then all the measure values are repeated. And um, early on at Looker, uh, filling in that grid was tricky. Um, and if you had a very sparse data set, that we might not fill in the grid. And I wanted to try to figure out a way to make sure that the grid was filled in. Um, and so I think that's the other thing that you, I think I remember you being, I, I went off one weekend and did that. Um, yeah. But it's just, it's making stuff happen. It's like going and looking at it, thinking about it, and then going, yeah, I think
0: it's. I think that's computable. <laughs> Damn, that's so impressive. Um, what, what, one last question. I'm sorry I keep saying one last question. I keep coming up with interesting things to ask you. Um, is uh, So I think I found one thing that you did at Looker that's a little less technical, but I found also really fascinating is... You started the company, and then you decided not to be CEO, but instead to, to be CTO. So, can you walk me through how you made that how, that decision?
1: Yeah. Um, so, uh, when we started Looker, we got uh, customers very early, um, built the minimum viable product, actually started selling ourselves as a service, so that. Uh, Hey, we'll build this interface to you so that you can see your data. But they never got the first so the first people never really saw LookML. I just did the I wrote the LookML and the rule was that all the customization happened. Um anything that we were going to do specifically for a customer had to happen in Lookamel. that was how I knew that LookML would be strong enough to survive. And so the first the first customer was that way. The second customer um uh uh, there It was a pretty technical shop, so I had them try Lookamel. the third customer again, it was consulting fourth customer was was back to uh, them trying to do stuff in Lookamel and and so on and then the fifth and sixth we were uh, crafted the model first and then tried to hand it off to them. So we were learning different patterns but but very quickly we became cash flow positive because of the consulting model um, um, which enabled us to wait till we raised money until almost a year. The, to, the, to the first round, so we, I self, I funded for the first, or we self-funded for the first, and then, um, um, and, and then um, uh, we got going. Um, uh, once we would raised money, um, uh, we, I was able to hire actually someone to do some selling and do, because uh, up till then I was doing all the selling and stuff. Um, so uh, realizing early on, I'm doing every single job in the company. <laughs> so I'm doing, I'm, do- I'm, I'm programming, I'm. I'm uh, my co-founder, Ben, is also programming, um, and he's a fantastic programmer. And um, uh, and then we hire another programmer. But so so any of the I'm I'm programming, too. But 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 other all the non-programming tasks that were not finance, I had somebody who was helping us do bookkeeping um, um, I was doing. And then Mark Randolph uh, later on came in and started advising me about what, you know, what to do next and how to price things and and and, and those kinds of things. um, and, it, and it was a great thought partner in how to actually get this thing rolling. Um, so roll forward, uh, we're uh, we, we we're uh, we had just launched. Um, uh, we had uh, a bunch of customers. We're doing really well. We'd we'd raised two million dollars. hadn't spent hadn't hadn't spent a lot of money. And um, uh, and I met Frank. And, um, uh, and and Frank had been giving me advice all along. He's a he was at Green Plum and. Um, um which is a big m p p database um and um and uh what had happened was um he knew a ton about the market, and my board kept asking me, okay, it's time for you to hire a sales team. you need to hire you know someone to manage sales and do all this stuff and i'm like i i am not you know you know it's not something I've ever done before, I'm not gonna be very good at it i'm world class at building software and product, but I'm not world class at um, at at running a company, it's not something I've ever done before, so I could make a lot of mistakes. Um, and so Frank came on actually as president, and I was um, CEO for the first few months, and then Frank started bringing in great people, and he was doing an amazing job. And we went out and we raised a bunch more money because um, Frank was hiring great people. And um, and right after the fundraising, it was like, okay, I you know I there. I don't want to be the front-facing person in this thing. I want to be the person that's working on product. I want to do what I'm world-class at, and um, and and that's being a CTO. And so I so um, so we kind of swapped swapped titles. I was chairman and CTO, and 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 Frank was the CEO,
0: and and that's worked out fantastically well. Yeah, uh, and w- w- I guess one of the things that I about the story that. Um, I guess you, you may not know is that uh, it's like so inspiring to like hear that, because so many people want to be CEO almost like as an ego thing, to like know yourself so well, to be able to say, like, uh, you know, I'm not world class at something, I, I want to focus on what I'm good at. I just, uh, it, it, was, it was part of why I came to work at Looker in the first place. I was talking to um, a venture capitalist about, about Looker, and, and they, they spoke specifically about how well you knew yourself and how impressive it was that you made this decision so early on. So, um,
1: yeah, it was uh, it was tricky. You know, it it was a it was a leap of trust. Right. It was like a bet the company decision and and that that Frank was willing to come and be president showed that he was he believed in enough in what we were doing that he was willing to come anyway. Right. Yeah. But then but then
0: mutually what's best for the company was that Frank was CEO. Yeah. So this might Uh, be like an impossible question to answer. Um, But for for those of us who aren't fortunate to like. Happen to know someone like Frank, who who like might be able to be CEO of our company? Would if you hadn't run across Frank, do you think you would have kind of done like an executive search, like you would have like looked around for a CEO, or you you would have waited until you kind of came across someone more naturally?
1: Uh, So um, I I I ascribe to um, what I call paintball management, (laughs) Um, and uh, you know when I when I you know the, the, the. First of all, the reason for Looker's success is the team. Like It is absolutely not my success. It is our team's success. Um, and it is because people like you came to work at Looker. Um, it, 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 it is these br- brilliant people who've come and said, I get it, I see why this is different. This is, I, I like the way you, I like the way Looker feels. I like what Looker makes. I like the way the company Looker feels. I want to be part of that. And that's all that Looker is, right? If you look at Looker, um, if you were to rob Looker on the weekend, come into the weekend trying to steal from Looker, steal <laughs> look- Looker secret sauce, you come into a building that's full of, that's you know it's a beautiful building, but full of of monitors, right? No computers, and there's nothing here, right? So the only thing that Looker really is is the is the um, is the software that we make, is the people that actually service that 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 build the software, build the company help the customers you know all we are is the people right and so looker success is really all of is 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 the people and so um, the the people that you can bring around you is probably the biggest success is 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 is, is What's going to make you successful? It's not that, I mean, you may have a great idea, um, but there are a lot of great ideas that one person had that didn't go anywhere, right? And, and if you want to build a great company, you got to build a great company, which is finding great people. And so the paintball management thing is when you're early, you find people of different skills and you have to see whether or not that person fits into your organization. So if you kind of threw everybody's skills up on the wall as a spatter pattern and you look and you go, what are our, our holes? Well, before Frank came along, I had a big hole about. It sales management, uh, you know, uh, enter, knowing enterprise. Um, I mean, there was a huge hole in the wall, right? And so when he showed up and started showing, demonstrating to me that, that, that he could fill that giant hole in the wall, it was really important to get Frank, mm. right? Yeah. Um, right, and, and it, it, I mean, it was an enormous hole that we had, and if we were gonna be successful, we needed that hole filled. And if it wasn't Frank, uh, other people would have you know I would've talked to other people and they might and it might have been three people filling that hole, right, <laughs> but it wouldn't be as filled as as consistently or as thoughtfully if, as, as one person being able to fill a big part of it. And then you know, I was filling big parts of the wall at that time and and slowly my the, the pattern of the wall that I was filling would get smaller and smaller. You know, I was doing, I was doing it, being the analyst, I was being running product, I was, you know, and slowly that, that over time that has, that has shrunk because we've gotten amazing people to fill in various
0: parts of that. Yeah. Well, that's really helpful to hear about how you think about it. I, I like the, the paintball yeah. that, uh, analogy a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, before we end, I want to give you an opportunity to like tell people like, um, how to uh, get at you? If, like whether that's like uh, Twitter or, or email or whatever, however you want people to follow you. Um, and then if you wanted to like make a, I know Looker is like growing like, like crazy. So if you wanted to make a pitch for anyone who wanted to work there, like what kind of things you're uh, hiring for, oh, yeah. things like that. So um,
1: um, we're always hiring. So if you go to the, if you go to our website, um, you know we're always looking for for tal- really great talented people who are inspired. Um, um, it is a great place to work. we are we we treat people like adults. Um, you know it is a uh, um, it is a compassionate nice place to work. It's probably some of the nicest people I've ever worked with they're they're uh, they're terrific. Um, and um, um, and we are doing great work and we're growing so if if you're an engineer or you're into data or you're you know you're marketing you know or you're into sales, you know we 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 you know, um, we have great positions and, you know, we've, we've been growing, um, tremendously over time. We, 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 we've been, we've, been, we always do, we've, we've actually, up to this point, we've never missed our plans. Yeah. So <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> Unheard of, um, you know,
0: it's just, which is crazy. I mean, I, I don't, and, you know, someday that might not happen, but right now it's been to, to, uh, to just spell that out for everybody. So, um, look, every quarter looker sets, uh, like sales goals and, um, and every quarter they hit them, and then they set even more ambitious like unhittable sales goals, and then they hit them every single quarter quarter after quarter, and then you've never missed a quarter that's right that's
1: right yeah oh my um God. and 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 you know and and you know not, you know that won't always be true <laughs> but right but but uh um but it's been fantastic in that um you know and, and it's a testament to our customers and and to the the it's 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 just amazing it's it's there, there's there's tremendous passion around the product inside and outside and 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 I love that um Totally. So yeah. So if you're if you're interested in if you're interested in working in a great, um, great startup, this is, looker Looker is great.
0: Yeah. Um, I would definitely um, confirm uh, all of those things. When I was at Looker, it was it was just the best experience. So I would I would totally agree. Sorry, you better interrupted you. Go.
1: Okay, I'm sorry. And you, what was the, there was another part of your question. If, um, Steve, if I'm sorry. you wanted
0: people, is there any links uh, like your website or or Looker, Oh, I'm I, you? I, I, I'm not very visible on
1: the <laughs> on the internet. I, I, Steve, as a, I, I I haven't done one of these before. <laughs> I,
0: I'm mostly invisible, but I did this for you. Uh, thanks, Lloyd. <laughs> I guess that's like um, uh, for anyone considering working at Looker. That's like um, one thing that might not be obvious is is like. When, when I was a customer of Looker, like, uh, Lloyd was always available as a, like a mentor and just as like, a, a thoughtful person for me. And then when I joined Looker, um, the whole team, but especially you, Lloyd, have been so wonderful to me. And then, and then even after I left Looker, just like throughout the years giving me advice and mentorship and coming on, coming on the show, I, I really appreciate it. And it just shows how, um, how thoughtful and, and, and caring you are to like, all, all the people in your world. So. Want to say thank
1: yeah. you. So you can you can tweet at me at Lloyd, I'm I'm Lloyd Tab on Twitter. So if you want to <laughs> great, you, but. awesome, uh,
0: great, cool. Well, thanks again so much for being on the show. Uh, I think I, I learned a lot of this conversation. So I hope uh, the listeners did too.
1: Great, great talking to you, Steve. Thanks.